2: Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I am delighted to be joined by Paul McQuaid. Welcome to the studio, Paul. How are you? I'm good, Paul. Thank you. It's great to see you, as always. You're a busy man. Uh, But we're here to speak about the one and only, the late, the great Johnny Doyle. You've written a book. Now, what I would like to ask you first and foremost are your memories. Your memories of Johnny Doyle because when I started going to watch Celtic, he had gone I mean my first yeah. game Was in 87 So I rely on Books And the Celtic Wiki And the old videotapes To try And give me a wee bit More information about this What I think Has been
3: referred to As a cult icon What's your yeah. memories Of Johnny Well I think I only ever Saw him play once Which was my first Visit to Celtic Park It was a friendly Against a Uruguayan Team 77 So I only six At the time very faint you know one of my big cousins took me my brother my two cousins we were up the back of the Celtic end beyond that but going back um, there's a great photo of Johnny riding a tackle and uh, the Uruguayans were in a yellow and black striped jersey you know Mm -hmm. Um, so I was there so I've obviously seen him play my first proper Celtic Park visit was um for my 11th birthday, that was the present and we were at Aberdeen, top of the table clash Um, but the sad thing was Johnny died on my 11th birthday so that was the day we had a a minute's um, silence at Celtic Mm -hmm. Park for Johnny, it took I think two or three weeks after his death for us to get a home game, you know, so that was that so there was always just that wee connection between myself and Johnny because of the, the unfortunate timing of his death. Um, but like yourself, other than that, it was just stories. Um, so even at that time, eighty eighty one, um that was my first proper home game. My first European game was Not Forest. My pal Alex had already been at the Real Madrid game, the Juventus game. Mm-hmm. And at primary school, he was telling us and our pals all about the Real Madrid game and... Even now, you know, you still get a lot of Celtic fans say that night, that atmosphere was unbelievable. So you're 10, 11, 12 years old, your pals telling you this, yeah. you know? Then you meet, as you go, you meet other Celtic fans, they start talking about the Real Madrid game and the, their stories and memories of this, this guy, this winger who was um, a live wire. But a lot of them, met him, a lot of them knew him a lot mm. of them had stories about this guy as well uh, and then of course the stuff that everybody knows about him, the sending-offs the, um, the incident with the referee uh, down the air um, the funny stuff as well so you're thinking, this, he's quite unusual and he definitely is a cult figure as far as Celtic fans are concerned
2: This cult icon, that status it's something I've thought long and hard about and you, you ask yourself, what makes a cult icon? What do you think makes a cult icon? I think it,
3: it's somebody who leaves a mark on fans. You know, that, that's probably the most telling thing about them. And they're not Henrik Larson. They're not an absolute superstar. You know, they haven't won necessarily loads of medals, loads of trophies. Um, but they're somebody who the fans remember through some bad times as well. You know? Um so it's somebody who's won a place in the heart of the fans um for their commitment, um, for their connection as well. And I think Johnny Doyle definitely meets that.
2: I think that's important that word connection, because you can either connect through their talent yeah. or they can connect through sometimes their personality or a bit of both. Yeah. And you look, you think of the cult icons down the years and Johnny Doyle is definitely in that category. Um, also in that category Paul I've got to say is the biography of Johnny Doyle because I think that in my mind there's always been a clutch of Celtic books that have never been written and you kind of hope someone will write them yeah. someday I heard rumours about this book yeah. years ago could you tell me about the birth of this the idea how that developed and how it came to be yourself that wrote yeah. it
3: um, well Joanna Johnny's daughter um, tells the story of how on the thirtieth anniversary, um, Celtic Grave Society had a had a celebration, a commemoration at his graveside, and that day she recalls was the first time somebody asking, Is there a book? And why is there not a book, you know? Um, and that certainly got her mind going for a while and I think she'd put a few feelers and then of course it goes quiet and what have you as well Um, she spoke to um, Brendan, Brendan Sweeney who's in the Celtic Grave Society so I've known Brendan for a few years and Brendan had done his first early years book Um, but he'd said to her look he recommended me you know he said I think this is more at Paul Street than my street you know um, but we together had done a booklet about Johnny about 15 years ago to raise funds for a banner for him um, and I'd met Joanna there in actual fact we did a fundraising race night Um George McCluskey turned up uninvited, just turned up because it was for Johnny. And then as the night progressed, we realised some of the people in the back of the room, were his family, his sister, his daughter, his son, were all there, you know? Um, and so that's how we got to know them. And because of that, we got access to some of their scrapbooks mm. um, to help make this booklet. So that worked out really well. But the booklet really just scratched the surface, you know? So when Jana approached me, I said, I think there's, well, the other thing that had actually happened was, in the last 10 years or so there's a lot more stories come out Mm -hmm. about Johnny because Celtic players doing podcasts more books and there was a lot more than was there 15 years ago Um, So I said I definitely think there's a book there's enough to make a book um, but also there were more um more of an archive that the family had as well, so more, not just scrapbooks but articles, interviews um, newspaper clippings, um, and that proved really helpful as well so that was a, another thing to mine Brendan also gave me access to all of his Celtic views for the five, six years Johnny was at the club as well, really helpful you know, so that helped piece all, all that together um, and it took just over two years from start to finish um, but I really enjoyed it because it was there's just so many good stories along the you know, it was really good fun
2: You know when you're in that kind of zone Paul of focusing entirely on one subject from the club's
3: history or one player from the club's history you get to feel like you know them don't you? Definitely yeah definitely a little bit and with Johnny as well that's the impression I think that a lot of people have of them, they might only have met him once or twice but they've never forgotten it Mm -hmm. you know, he definitely had that impression on people Um, and one of the things I found really interesting about the book was the family story so the early life in View Park but his time at Air United was absolutely fascinating because that period of Scottish football when Ali McLeod got this team together Mm -hmm. um, old heads young heads like Johnny and unbelievable success, the most successful period in their history and um, they pulled off some incredible results and would regularly feature in the top six in Scottish football and that was how Johnny and a couple of others made it into the Scotland under 23s then Johnny gets the call up first United player in almost half a century to play for Scotland and there hasn't been one since incredible, you know, so I was really fascinated by all of that too the thing, the thing is, obviously, he
2: played for many years at Air United before coming to Celtic. But he was a lifelong Celtic fan. I mean, some of the stories I've been told about him turning up, you know, with a Celtic scarf on yeah. for training, um, and also Danny McGrain tells me the story that he wore the biggest crucifix you could imagine <laughs> around his neck as well, and I've seen pictures of him with yeah. that um, on show outside the Celtic jersey. So during his period at Air United, from all the research you've done and the people you've spoken to, Paul, um, did he think that it was all going to eventually lead to that magical
3: moment where he signs for the hoops? Did he believe that? I think he always had the hope that it would, but he'd already he'd already had a disappointment because in some of the interviews, um, he says that Celtic, there had been a strong suggestions Celtic were interested in when he was still playing boys gold football and he was disappointed that nothing came of it. So he spoke about that in a couple of interviews and he was quite almost bitter about the lost opportunity. So fast forward a couple of years, he's then getting you know suggestions of international contention and other teams coming in for him, mostly English teams sending up scouts, having them watched. Um, but the Celtic thing was always rumbling under the surface and basically any chance he got in an interview, he would make it quite clear that he was a Celtic fan, so mm-hmm. it was a real come and get me thing. But then it wasn't happening. Air United realised we've got a prize asset here. So although they were only paying him a matter of 30, 40 pounds a week tops, they were demanding eighty, five, a hundred thousand pounds mm-hmm. for him, you know? Mm-hmm. And it looked as though Celtic had decided enough so they would they bid initially Ali McLeod were this time was at Aberdeen and wanted him. And they were prepared to bid eighty, eighty five thousand as well. And it looked as though one weekend it was all going wrong. And Sunday night it looked as though maybe Aberdeen and then it looked as though it was collapsing. He was in dispute with air, so it was agreed he had to get out, you know. And then finally, I think about ten, half ten at night, Celtic bid ninety five and board accepted that. So that meant he then had to get to the airport the next morning, because Celtic were travelling away to Europe and there was a deadline. Um, so he was up all night. He was up all night listening to his heavy rock music. He couldn't get to sleep. Um, first thing he did when it got light, he phoned Jerry McNee. He'd promised Jerry McNee he'd get the story because mm-hmm. Jerry McNee had done a lot for him to get his story out there that he wanted to go to Celtic. Did that, and then him and his wife went to the airport and signed for Sean Fallon at the airport. Isn't it
2: incredible how. Times have changed in respect of agents and getting that word out. And I've heard the players who would utilise their their favourite reporter or someone that they had built up a relationship with in the press, Paul. Yeah. And get that word out. And then the club reads that and then acts on it. It's incredible to think that that's the way it was done back then. Yeah, yeah. and
3: it's, um, it, it's interesting because Ali McLeod also used the press mm. in that way. Um, Ali McLeod would go to the press club in Glasgow every Friday afternoon for a drink, and that was him making connections. He was well known for the, the journalists coming in post-match down at Somerset Park. He'd open up the drinks cabinet, they'd all get torn in. Um, and he's always dropping hints, he's always pushing these players for international places he's, he's always suggesting that maybe someone would be tempted by a move elsewhere bring money into air move people on mm-hmm. and the machinations of this were incredible and then you see Johnny working in harmony with Jerry McNee to the same effect as yeah. well you know um, and Jerry McNee did a particularly good job because it wasn't just a single interview it went on over a course of months so Johnny's obviously slipping him information about how un- unhappy he is at the airboard stance this all followed the red card against Andy <laughs> Lynch at Celtic Park um, and ultimately led to this situation developing so Johnny like some of the players at the time particularly good at manipulating the media when he needed to but interestingly about a year and a half before this Schalke the German club were interested in signing Johnny and um, Andy Gray up at Dundee United sent scouts over and I found this out through uh, Johnny Graham, the Air United captain, mm-hmm. who became a good friend of Johnny Doyle. Johnny Graham produced a book before he died a few years ago, um, just published it himself. There's some great stories in it, including the one where they spend a night in the Glasgow Hotel, <laughs> trying to find out whether the guys from Germany are real agents or not. Um, they're, they're worried that they're going to get into trouble because Air United don't know anything about it. The first person they see walk through the lobby is Ernie Walker from the SFA. <laughs> and it's just it's a, a hideous you know then finally they, they go up to a hotel room and they're speaking to a German individual who maintains he's from Schalke but they just think there's something quite dodgy so they say no, we're ending it here you'll need to speak to air um, and it turns out they then send the club president and the scout along to the game on the Saturday to watch him and it's out in the open um, but unfortunately doesn't play well pressure gets to him mm-hmm. against Dundee um, and they don't make a bid and they don't go for hand degree either supposedly that would have set them up for life, mm. the money that was on offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, no agents at that time, have to do it all himself. But fortunately for him, fortunately for Celtic, it
2: played out differently. You spoke about the Andy Lynch incident. I'm going to come back to that because that incident resulted in Andy Lynch going into Johnny's Black Book. <laughs> and we'll talk about the Black Book as well. Um, but see, when we're looking at Celtic books, I don't know, you know where else there is a club that has such a canon of literature than Celtic Football Club. It's quite incredible when you start looking at the amount of books written about this club, the history of the the football club, the individual players, the fans. uh, Everything's been covered, Paul. But as I say, there was always that wee gap that I felt Johnny Doyle, maybe John Clark, maybe Henrik, Paul McStay. There's a few players that really, you know, had to be written about. So it's great that you did. But what I also like is the fact that you've done it yourself. So that takes us on to the subject of the shamrock. Yep. Talk to us about the shamrock. Whether we chat about this, because you know, again, as well as literature in book form, we've been famous for fanzines, yeah and this is a fanzine of sorts, but with a difference. So tell us about the, the shamrock and how that's
3: developed as well. Yeah, my main my main interest is the history of Celtic and Scottish football more generally, and so I thought there's a bit of a gap there. Um, I've been able to write long, long pieces, particularly um, about some of the early characters, uh, the politics, mm. you know, the Irish identity of the club how did that come about you know it seems straightforward but there's a lot more to it there's other Irish clubs before Celtic not just Hibs many more you know um, so all of that stuff really fascinated me and I thought you know if I start my own my fanzine then at least there's a, a vehicle for this you know um, and that's it you know I, I wanted to write about um, Gil Heron um, I wanted to write about Mohammed uh, Salim mm-hmm. you know I'd, I'd done a bit of research on these guys I thought there's loads more as well you know um, the one that just came to fruition about a year ago was when Jimmy Johnson died my father told me again um, that he'd remembered the story from when he was young of Jimmy playing in a team of masked men yes yes yeah, so mm-hmm. the rumour of the masked men mm-hmm. had been going for years you know and um, so I started looking into that about 8 or 9 years ago did a bit of research um, actually met was on holiday
0: Not just a media company. iHeart Media is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability, and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions call click Ranger.com, or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done
3: organisers of the tournament in Moville got some information that confirmed it he confirmed jimmy johnson was definitely there and then i managed to track down by pure luck um, a guy who played for the coffin emeralds the year before but didn't play with jinky or sorry the year after but he knew the jinky so I, was like, okay. so I took it so far but i never published it and then um, i Journalist wrote a piece in the Herald about it because um, there'd been more stuff had come out from one of the Derry newspapers, you know. I was like, that's oh, filling in a few of the gaps. And then um, went back to my notes and started to chase down a couple... There was a connection with Croy, footballers from the Croy area, and had a couple of names, you know, and I thought, mm. And now with the internet, searched this name and it, the name turned up in a in a Celtic book uh, and it was a Celtic supporter you know who'd interviewed guys and Croy so I got in touch with the author and he said yeah here's a here's a phone number you know a guy that passed it on so I phoned this guy up and he was in his early uh, 80s and he was a Kirfin Emerald. He put it all together for me. He played every year for the Emeralds. Wow. He played, and Jinky was there that first year. One year, Jinky played, a was only about 17. And um, he had fantastic memories. So um, I went to see him um, about a year, year and a half ago and uh, one really sunny afternoon, got it all written down brilliant. and unfortunately he died um, within about 10-12 uh, months, mm-hmm. um, but I was able at least to get the story completed, you know so that's it, you know, I love these things I think, you're right, we're absolutely blessed as a club with the history that we do have, um, and yet some of the stories are known, but they're not fully known mm-hmm. so that's the idea, you know, I want to keep going finding out more, um, going back delving in and earlier, and you're right there's gaps, you know, there's gaps, uh, John Clark's a great shout, Paul McStay doesn't have a book, which is incredible. Mm. You know, he's he's my favourite Celtic player that I've seen. Henrik larson has got a book. It's one of the most disappointing things in my life, the Henrik Larson book, because one of the chapters starts off with woke up in the morning, ate a grapefruit, went to training. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Um, It was just, you know, a Daily Record journalist wrote it with him, you know, just thinking, okay, I'm sure there's more to that story, you know, but never mind. Um, So that's, I think that's where fan media really comes in, because there's that desire to find out more, get to the truth, Mm -hmm. make it a bit more interesting as well, you know. So fingers crossed there'll be more to come.
2: Without a doubt. And it gave you also a vehicle, Paul, to publish the books. So you've moved into Publishing books, which again gives you more control when it comes to that stage of getting the book over the line, um,
3: because often with publishers that can be quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, and I went into that blind. Um, the inspiration for that was, like I said, my interest is the, the history, the early history, but Brendan Rogers' first season, that summer I kept thinking, we're probably never going to have a season like that again. You know, Invincibles, Roderick's winning goal in the cup mm. final. But not just that, the standing section, the songs that were created. It was the perfect season. And I thought, I've got to get this written down, from my perspective at least. doesn't matter if anyone else is interested in it, you know. So that was the first book I did. But then the second book was more what I'm really into, which is um, the history, the Coronation Cup final. That was my dad's first Celtic game. But I thought the whole story of the competition mm-hmm. is fascinating. And the fact that Celtic, who a lot of people didn't think should have been in it because we were so poor at the time. Yeah. Um but that the coming together, that group of Celtic players with Jock just coming in and then Sean Fallon helping him become captain. It just worked perfectly, you know. So that was that was the second book. Um and Johnny Doyle's a kind of leap forward in time, more into the modern era. I don't imagine I'll do much that close to the current day again, you know. Um hopefully next thing will be um probably a project on Irish clubs in Scotland that's, mm. that's a real kind of brilliant passionate area for me at the moment you know what was it like before Celtic mm-hmm. and then the impact of Celtic on the Irish teams as well
2: very interesting Paul now Johnny Doyle cult hero um, died in the wool Celtic fan when he signs for Celtic the Celtic fans take him um, not just because of the fact he's, a, he's one of us as you would say but he's a very talented footballer it saddens me now that we don't have as many of those types of players in modern football. Um, I think Celtic are quite unique in that we always do have one or two. Yep. It all comes down to I feel, and this wasn't the case with Johnny. The youth development. So you're bringing them through a lot of the mass Celtic supporters from the terraces to the pitch, but it's dying out. How
3: sad does that make you feel? It's unfortunate, you know. It's partly the way that football go- football has gone as well because if you're particularly good at football at a young age, you'll end up in the academy system, presumably. Um, and that means you won't be able to watch necessarily games at the weekend. You know, there's clashes. So even for someone like Kieran I think you've got to be lucky. Your family's got to be right into the club, you know what I mean? So going to the games regularly will take you along. Um, but otherwise, there's going to be that clash. So, it's going to be hard, I think, for the younger players to make the connection, you know. And also, once they're in the academy where things, I think it moulds people in different ways. They've got to be very careful about their interactions with the public and what have you. So, that's why Keane Tierney was so unusual to have to go to away games. I saw him at um, Motherwell, uh, Hamilton, the same season when he was injured, you know, he was in amongst the fans. Really unusual to see that. Um, And you do think you probably won't get to see it again, you know. But it's all about the family it's all about the personal connection with the club and I think because it's Celtic that'll never be lost but what you won't get is you won't get the if a Celtic player wanted to wear a scarf to the game, I think that would be discouraged, you know? Um, some mm-hmm. of the things that Johnny mm-hmm. did would definitely be discouraged. Um, <laughs> and I know, like, Jock Steen wasn't happy. He was like, what, what are you doing? You know, what, you're turning up wearing a scarf, going to the away games and stuff, you know? Um, and I think there was a generational thing there as well. You know, probably going, we never did that. Why are you doing it? And he just did it because he thought it was, you know, he wanted to do it. Um, he supported the club before he got there, so this was just a natural continuation. Um, but, yeah, I don't think we'll see much of the like of that again. When he signs, uh, record fee. And at
2: that time, Celtic have been blessed with wingers. I mean, it's something historically, and I know you love your history, uh, you know, it could be quite daunting. There are certain numbers at Celtic that it would be daunting to put them on your back. Back then it was on the shorts, of course. Yeah. So when you're a winger, I remember David Proven once saying that he owed a lot to Johnny Doyle because it's not as though he was trying to come in and be the next Jimmy Johnson because yeah. there had been a player in there before him.
3: Do you think he relished that though, Paul? I think he did. Um, His time at Selby was very challenging, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the great thing I found out about about Johnny was how he dealt with those challenges. Um, So there's the burden of Jinky. So there's the personal connection with Jinky. The families know each other, they they grew up together, both mine and families as well. Went to the same school. So I think Johnny, like a lot of people, you Jinky personally anyway, you know. Um, One thing I did find out, which I didn't know, the book was actually written in Jason and Johnny's son said to me you know I've got other scrapbooks here in the house and I'm thinking "Mm, I think I've seen them all and the book was written so I want to get out this is like February you know and I thought you know I can't take the chance I better look to see and sure enough there was other stuff in there that I hadn't come across including this amazing story of so it was well known that when Johnny got to the boys guild he had to be persuaded because he was already travelling seen Celtic home and away, he'd paid his supports club membership for the year. Mm-hmm. And the boys go claim, like, our main guy's injured, a guy called Jyser Green. We need a new striker coming. And he was like, No. But they say no, we're giving you an opportunity, you know what I mean? This could lead to perfect this could lead to Celtic. No. He said, I've already paid my money and I'm um, he was seen the best Celtic team in history. Mm-hmm. So this is like 67, 68, 69. Uh, so they we had to go back a few times to persuade him. And he did, and it was successful and it was going well. But he was missing Celtic and he was losing interest, but Jimmy Johnston turned up for a couple of boys' girl training sessions. Jinky took him aside. So this I found in an interview. Took him aside and said to him, "Look, I think you can make it." And he was giving. He was showing him some of his moves. He was showing him how he, you know things to do with defenders to, to get away. And I think this is incredible that I'd never seen this before. So I managed to get that in. So there's there's the Jinky. He, he never. Then he joins a year after Jinky leaves, but they played in the testimonial together um, against Man United, Jinkie and Bobby's testimony. So he loved that. Um, but that was it, you know. So there's the shadow of Jinkie, which is obviously massive for any Celtic player. Um, and the expectations that comes with being the number seven player as well, you know. Um, and that was one of the things um, I had to get some clarity from um, St. Anthony you know, the author of the 4-2 yeah. book, Stephen, yeah. um, because it looked to me as though his first full season at Celtic was a big success. We did the double, you know, came back from a bad season the season before. But actually, um, he himself was saying in interviews and then later on playing for Celtic book interviews three years on, my first season was a disaster. It was a wash. And I'm going, he won two medals. I don't understand it. But what Stephen was explaining was, he did well. He did well, but he wasn't quite meeting the expectations of this one of the best, Scotland's best wingers at the time coming in and hitting it every week after week after week. Because again, the heightened expectations of Celtic were so much more than air, you know. Mm-hmm. And he appreciated that because one of the things that he did successfully was everybody knows his disciplinary record that he had left a lot to be desired. And again, in, in, in interviews, he's explaining yeah, I'm reacting too much and Jockstein's telling me I've got to stop this otherwise that's it you're out the team and he said I could get back into the team at air because there wasn't anybody else who could keep me out You know, Mm -hmm. but here it's different so here and I think he he managed that because he only got two red cards and he's six years at Celtic one of them was rescinded the referee with the ball in the face and the other one was the 4-2 game Mm -hmm. that's entirely justified so he managed to screw the head there but just after he does that and he's settling in again um, the disastrous 77 78 season, and then Billy McNeil comes in mm-hmm. and Billy McNeil signs Davey Provin, the new right winger, and that's Johnny's position. Yeah, and it's like, oof. And he's out the team, he's in the reserve one month, two months, and he's he realises I need to really persuade Billy McNeil that I can still bring value to this team, you know. And he does that by making it clear he can play anywhere in the front line. So Billy McNeil comes back. Um, game before an important Rangers game I think it's out at Arbroath, he plays Doyle on the left Proven on the right they go and they play that against Rangers they get a good draw which they weren't really expecting that's it he's back in the team he's proven that he's versatile and his sister Anne Marie told me that um when he was about six, seven, eight, he was always a football fanatic. His dad was a huge Celtic fan. His dad was in a wheelchair at this point. But his dad used to say to him, "You'll never play for Celtic. You're too right-footed. You need to learn to play with your left foot, right?" Mm-hmm. And so, what his dad do would sit in his wheelchair. He would hold him by the right side, and he would let him. He would insist to play with the ball and learn how to play with his left foot practice with the left and lo and behold fast forward 20 years he gets back into the Celtic team because he is he can play But well, definitely his right foot's stronger you know um, but he hits the, the referee in the face that's a left foot cross you know and so he's obviously, he's obviously quite skillful, you know um, so he he learns lessons he adapts and that's how he kept his Celtic career going so uh, and David Proven, David Proven is very fulsome in his praise for Johnny Seedlick I was taking this guy's job. He's a massive Celtic fan. Celtic fans could easily have turned on me for that. Except, of course, Davy Problems and Brogan Winger. Celtic fans loved him. Um, but he, Johnny Doyle became one of his closest friends mm-hmm. at Celtic Park, you know. So it, that worked out really well. There was challenges further down the line and they came back again. So it was really fascinating for me to find out all that. Let's talk about some of those moments, some of those flashpoints <laughs> of
2: Johnny's career, good and bad. Yeah. Um, we'll start off with that sending off. Now that that's one of the the highlights of a game that will be watched forevermore because it was absurd. He yeah. crosses the ball in, as you say, on his so-called weaker foot. It hits the ref, who's probably feeling a bit embarrassed, and he sends him off. Yeah. And when I look back on that footage, he's raging. I mean, Jock, oh. to such a point. I mean, he brushes past Jock on the way yeah. off the park. Absolutely raging. Yeah. Um, what was Johnny's thoughts? I know the
3: red card was eventually eventually rescinded. What was Johnny's thoughts about that saga? Actually, I don't think I don't think I found out much, Paul, about his views on that because um, the fact it was rescinded pretty quickly, you know, reasonably quickly, um, I think that helped him get over it. Um, but, the season turned out to be a disaster this was right at the start of the season he'd come on as a sub, we were chasing it we were 2-1 down and we were chasing it but we had loads of pressure so we'd won that corner and then from the corner it gets fed back to Johnny and he great hit with the left foot, referee standing there, clean flush on the face knocks him over um, and I think you could see the, the players were kind of laughing the referee but the, the air trainer had to come on and get the referee and make sure he was alright and um, amazingly he was quite an, although he's an older guy he was quite an inexperienced referee I think he'd only handled a few Premier League games produces the red card and you're right the funny thing about the incident is um, Jockstein stops him running off and he says what's happening you know he doesn't quite understand it and I mean Johnny almost pushes Jockstein out the way he's so angry Mm -hmm. that he can't even believe that what was a funny incident is turned into this but also I presume he's thinking as well are we going to get back into this game because it was the last 10 minutes we didn't so he gets sent off we'll lose the momentum that we'd built up air winning the game Johnny gets the red card rescinded We get nothing from the game. It's happened a few times since as well. Um, But at least it it gets taken off his record, you know. But the season goes from bad to worst, to unbelievably bad. You know, we're flirting in the ninth position, eighth position in the league. And we just, any any time we turn a corner, we get run down again, you know. And then at the very end of that season, Celtic have four chances to claim a UEFA Cup spot against him. We we lose every single... It's unbelievable. Um, But, of course, it was the the loss of McGreen, Stanton. um, Nearly half the team were missing at various points during the season. Disastrous, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And the players that were brought in just weren't up to the the same standard as well, you know. Um, So that, to me, that incident is just totemic of how disastrous that season turned out for Celtic, you know. Um, Johnny came up against the referee a couple of... He booked him. He booked him the following season as well, you know, and I think Johnny was just laughing about it by this point, you know. But obviously there were a number of referees down the years he'd built a bit of, bit of a relationship with, shall we say. I bet. He did. <laughs> the thing is, a wee bit of humour would have just dealt with that
2: situation, yeah. you know, but Scottish football has its quirks, Paul. Yeah. Um, the other red card you were talking about is uh, equally as infamous, but obviously what uh, then ensued was far more... Uh, Beneficial to Celtic. It's one of the folkloric games. Books have been written about it. The 4 2 game. You don't even have to tell them anything else. If you say the 4 2 game, we're only talking about one game.
0: It's the marketer's report. This week, Patricio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust.
1: Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy.
0: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh yeah, love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingaroner, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile, unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer, new customers only, available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere, one device per line, tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details.
2: That's the strange thing we sell If I say to you the 6-2 game, you know which one I'm talking about, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So the 4-2 game, and you know, I... I Listen to all the stories I've heard about Johnny. And I remember asking Danny McGrain, what were the players like? with Johnny? He says we were raging with him. And they're going to the changing room and they're going to the dressing room and I think a few of them had their words, but he would have been beating himself up about that sending off though Paul, wouldn't
3: he? Oh, he, apparently he was he was almost traumatized by it because he then refuses to go out with the team when they go back on the pitch. Um, I think he, I think what's happened is he's got so upset, and it, he himself says that afterwards he was sat in the changing room. He could, he heard another goal. He wasn't sure. You know, he thinks his Celtic here, is finished. He thinks he's cost Celtic the league. Uh, that one moment of madness in the last game of the season, down to ten men, um, and that's it. It's over. So he's thinking I'll be packing my bags after this. Billy McNeil shouted at him. On the way off, you better hope, Doyle, we win this. So he, he knew, you know, it, it was absolutely disastrous for him. And I think so, even though he doesn't see the goals, you know, he only hear, I think, one of the, the ground staff come in and tell him, hey, that's it, we've, we've scored the game overall. Um But I think he's so sickened by what happened, mm. you know, he's just like, he, he can't even go over it. Um, and he was in tears because a few of the players talk about the fact he was in tears and I think that was the relief coming out at that point you know because he himself seems to saying of all people I've cost Celtic I didn't get into this to cost my team a league title on the last day of the season against Rangers you know and he would have carried the blame for it um, but fortunately his teammates um, dug him out of that hole one of my favourite doily stories is George McCluskey um, I think Pat Bonner says it as well um, next day the players are told to report in the Celtic Park. Um, and when they do, the, the park in front of the main stand, they get out, John Dollswing signals them over, come here, he goes into the car, says to George McCluskey, George, if you tell anybody I was crying last night, I'm going to bar you. And George's like, oh, come on, John George, I'm warning you, I'll bar you. He did it to all the other players. He was so embarrassed about the fact he'd been greeting and he was more concerned about that, you know. Um, but I found out that John Clark and Billy McNeil said later on, um, the players used to sing at 10 men won the league at, at Johnny, you know, to wind him up, you know, because they knew how painful it was. And that was them getting him back for the red card.
2: But then he's part of that story, isn't yeah, it? I've Ten seen. men won in the league. You know, Johnny's as big a part of that. Um, I think Stevie Murray calls him the pantomime villain uh, <laughs> yeah. in the piece. But it's all part of you know Celtic being the, even more so the underdog. Yeah. And we overcome that. And of course, another yeah, great moments with Celtic. But another fantastic moment is when we beat this club, Real Madrid, at Celtic Park. I wouldn't normally have a Real Madrid pennant up there, but it's, <laughs> it's on there for a reason. Uh, when you think about that, that tie, that result at Celtic Park against that side and the fact that Johnny
3: Johnny scored that goal the celebration incredible isn't it you know knowing as much as I know now about the guy I'm so pleased for him Mm -hmm. you know to have that absolute highlight moment um, not just of a Celtic but one of the greatest moments in Celtic history to beat Real Madrid at home beat them convincingly as well and he gets the the second goal Um, Alan Sneddon put in a couple of amazing crosses that night you know but he was he was (laughs) he was Two large defenders, two tall defenders. And Johnny's only five foot seven. You know, everybody calls him Weed Oily. Um, and he just decides, I'm just going to go for it. There's nothing to lose here, you know. Uh, Sabido and Camacho just goes right through the middle. He sees the keeper decides not to come. That's it, I'm going for it. And he outjumps both of them. Um, unbelievable. Um, I did, there was a story of a fan who shouted out, Something, um, you know, language you couldn't use, but he couldn't believe that he was trying it. He said, you he he You know? And then, lo and behold, he gets it and he planks it right in the net. Mm. Unbelievable. And even... He, of course, after after that first leg, he's getting interviewed all the time. You know, there's they're turning up. The players are winding them up about him winning the Player of the Month award. They're all phoning him up, pretending to be Billy McNeil to tell him the news. All this stuff, you know. Um, and he's he's taped the game. He's got a, he's got a video recorder. He's taped the game. He's always watching the game and the highlights as well. Um, but. I was always interested in the second leg. Mm. Um, There's a part of me which there's something wrong. You know, I'm always interested in, I think the Celtic story is unique because we've got such great history. There's a lot of tragedy and a lot of um, negative points in there as well. You know, we've had some real disappointments. Even in our lifetime, we've Mm. had some real disappointments. So with Celtic, it's really the rough as well as the smooth. And that second leg in Madrid is quite a story. You know, because um, a lot of folk talk about George McCluskey's chance, which uh, unfortunately he missed, but we actually had a couple of other really good chances in the first 10 minutes. They had like three yellow card challenges in the first two minutes. Mm-hmm. Johnny Doyle was cleaned out right away. Bobby Lennox was cleaned out. It was unbelievable. So, anyway, you're thinking the referee's not got control of this. But Celtic, keep with it, keep with it, right up until half time. The whole game is you can watch it live, um, so you can watch it in colour on YouTube. Some Real Madrid or TV stations put it up there. Fascinating. And even when they get the two goals, it's not over. We we almost score a couple more times again. You just think, oh, so so close, you know. Mm. And that would have been unwilling to have knocked Real Madrid out the competition and to have got a result in the Bernabeu would have been amazing. So I heard from some Celtic fans who made the trip because that often gets forgotten about as well. Two thousand Celtic fans went to Spain for that game. Yeah. Incredible. Um and a lot of them said, you know, part of me is thinking Kind of glad we didn't win, because we wouldn't have made it out of life. Because Real Madrid fans were not used to losing, you know, and they weren't expecting such a... Even though they were 2-0 up, they were fully expecting to beat us again, you know. Mm -hmm. So they weren't expecting to be quite so tough. So finding that part of the story as well was was fascinating. I always look at that first as well, Paul, because we then went through a
2: period of time um, where we were nowhere near a European level. Uh, a lot of Celtic fans now I mean on this very day we've just been looking at the, the group stage draw for the Europa League yeah. I don't think there's ever an expectancy you never take anything for granted but that's where we want our club to be we're in the group stages of a European competition there was many many years we were nowhere you know growing up it was first round second round in yeah. Europe and then bounced out the competition you got two or four European games a season and that was the last great kind of run you know yeah. against against Real Madrid coming to an end One of the things that comes through clear in the book is Johnny's relationship with the Celtic fans. Now, it's because he's a Celtic fan himself and, uh, you know, going to the supporters club dances and all that kind of stuff, sometimes uninvited, you know, just going (laughs) with other players. He enjoyed it so much. Uh, Talk to us about that unique relationship. And obviously the sadness, actually, in the opening of the book that the last photograph took place
3: um, and it was in Trinette, wasn't it? was Supporters Club. Yeah, called, yeah, uh, Dance. yeah, Tommy Burns. That's right. And um, that came about because for a number of years after we did the um, the booklet about Johnny, we decided we set up a website, and um, Brendan, myself, Joanna, we ran that for a few years. And then we just ran with a Facebook page. And over time, people were putting up so many great stories about yeah. him and um, photos. And that one stood out. And it's a fan from Haddington, Zeke. Zeke Ingle is his name. Um, and that was his local supporters club, you know. So he went along that night. Zeke's got some great stories about Johnny. Um, that night, he won, Zeke won a competition of some sort on the night, like a raffle or something, you know. said so he got up on the stage and Johnny was dishing out the prizes. And uh, he heard the name. He thought, that's a bit of an unusual name you've got there. So he tried to give him what Johnny Dale described as a Masonic handshake with his arm through his leg. <laughs> 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 saying nice to meet you, you know? <laughs> but Zeke also said earlier that season or the season the season after um, they were travelling back from Hamden uh, him and his pals in a car this time after a cup final um and Johnny Doyle overtook them in his green Audi and they can so they've beaten their horn so what does Johnny do? comes back on the brakes gets gets the window starts talking to them for a well on the motorway you know right. unbelievable so he'd already had a reconnection, connection um, but Zeke had mentioned when he put that Facebook po- post up saying um, the date, you know what I'm thinking that the 17th of October, 81 that's only two days before Johnny dies mm-hmm. um, so I thought for me, this is this is so symbolic of the man um, that last weekend, um, he gives it up to go through with Tommy Burns Bobby Lennox, um, to a supporters event in East of Scotland. Um, And Zeke's pal took a camera along, got a photo of Zeke with Tommy and Johnny and himself with Tommy and Johnny as well. Um, And I got in touch with Zeke and he said, asked if he could use it. And then he told me the other stories as well, got them in too. It was just pure luck. But there are so many Celtic people who have stories like this. It's incredible. After the book came out, um, I put it up on my own Facebook page, you know, and um, John, who's a year below me at school, through Glenorthis and Fife, uh, John was posting, um, and I remember we used to go at the same um, bus stop, you know, so I knew John reasonably well. His dad had run the Celtic Supporters Club, the Johnny Thompson bus, before I moved to Fife. Right. Um, big Celtic family. And John was posting about how he went through with his dad on his birthday, Celtic Park. John Doyle was injured. John Doyle got them in the back of the stand. He stopped every single player, every single 1st team player, and forced them to sign John's um, book that day. And then he met him at a Play of the Year dance the year after as well. So, as Davie Provinces, Johnny Doyle was out there every single weekend mm-hmm. and that's backed up you know um, and it all comes because Johnny's family Johnny's dad was a massive Celtic fan uh, the Doyle family's prized heirloom was this Celtic plaque that his father had from when he was a wee boy kept all his days and then gave it to Johnny as well you know um, when his father was in hospital his dad was in hospital for a year after breaking his back in a mining accident he then died three or four years after that and um, the family took tremendous um, succour from the fact that Bobby Evans, the Celtic captain, who happened to be Johnny Doyle's dad's hero, came to see him in hospital. Incredible. So when Roger Bailey does a big interview with Johnny for um, playing for Celtic 1980, so this is just a year before he dies, at the end Roger says... Johnny Dale doesn't talk about it, but he's very well known for hospital visits. A lot of, self, a lot of footballers are, like, but he doesn't like the publicity. Um, but Roger put this in at the end to say, and linked it in with the dad, and the fact that Johnny often talked about Bobby Evans' visit to his father, and that really helped the family, you know, through a very difficult time. So he appreciated it, but he also appreciated what it was like for sports just to spend time mm-hmm. with Celtic players, mm-hmm. you know and so he would regularly there was a, a lovely fan from um, from Antrim got in touch with me he used to come to the games in the late 70s with his mum she would bring him over the father was working, you know um, they would always stay after the game, main stand because they would get to speak to Johnny Johnny would spend time he'd come out and give them his shorts from the game oh. Neil Walker would be raging here he's, he's, he's stolen the shorts he's stolen just like he's giving them away as gifts, you know and um, And again, that personal connection just because he took the time to do that. And I'm not being overly critical of other players, you know, you either do it or you don't, you know what I mean? And obviously, Tommy Burns, you know, he and Tommy obviously rubbed off each other particularly well. And Tommy's known for doing much, a lot of the same things. So to an extent, I think um, there's a reason for that. And these people were lucky, you know, if you get Celtic players playing for you, uh, Celtic players playing for you, it means so much more and it's great. Absolutely. You've mentioned Tommy a few times
2: um, and we've got to speak about Tommy any excuse to talk about Tommy Burns um, but again a lot of stories come out after the event because these guys they don't broadcast it yep. they're doing it because they want to do it and it's the right thing in their minds to do it um, Tommy Burns used to pay those visits as well I've heard yep. loads of stories about Tommy but they were great friends to such a degree that Tommy is Joanna Doyle's godfather that's right talk to us about that unique relationship between Tommy and and Doyle because, I mean, when Johnny Doyle signs for Celtic, Burns has been there as part of the ground staff. You know, he's he's
3: making the breakthrough and Johnny comes a wee bit older than Tommy. Yeah, there's actually quite a quite an age gap, probably five or six years between the two of them. So in, in a footballing team sense, you're a wee bit surprised, you know. So what's the connection here? The connection Celtic, you know. As soon as um, anybody joins Celtic after that, Johnny Doyle goes up then First question, who do you support? He wants to know right away, you know. And um, if... Uh, if you're a Celtic supporter if you're a Catholic the following Mondays any of the reserve trading room saying like did you go to mass yesterday or not um, he wants to be a Rangers fan he gets them singing the Celtic song on the first day you know this kind of stuff um, him and Tommy when Tommy makes his debut running out of Celtic Park joined right in front of him you know so I think it's the Celtic thing you know it's the fact that they've got this connection as George McCluskey says you know Massive Celtic fans. You know, if you come from a Celtic family like George as well, there's big expectations. You know, everybody in your community knows you and they're right behind you, but big pressure there as well. You've got to learn to handle it. Um, but Tommy and Johnny loved Celtic. They had the connection through their faith as well, mm-hmm. which has become a, a bit more apparent over time too. Um, and they just fell into, it, fell into it right away, you know. So they were hanging out from pretty early on Um, Anne Marie tells a story she comes back from living in Germany after she gets married four or five years back to View Park Um, after she's been there a few weeks and they're talking to some of their new neighbours one of them says did we see Johnny Doyle at your house the other week there and her and her husband Frank say no that's her brother Tommy Burns yeah they were out playing football in her backyard. They just all the time, you know. Um, and Celtic fan from Coatbridge got in touch. Um, his um, Youth Club Play the Year dance uh, presentation, rather, there was Johnny and Tommy. They came along um, at the end, they helped the old women brush up the hall. There's photos of that as well. They just spent the whole evening there. It wasn't, wasn't a quick in and out, you know. Mm-hmm. They just enjoyed it. And being able to do it together was obviously just much more fun, you know. But then I find out one of Johnny's um, good pals from Kilmarnock is Hugh MacIntosh. Hugh's a Rangers fan. Um, they just fit in together. Johnny takes Hugh to a lot of these Celtic nights as well. Hugh is good pals with Tommy Burns. He's got, Hugh's got good stories about Tommy. The two of them slagging each other off for their teams the way that we would as fans, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible. Uh, so, but yeah, I love the fact there's... In Tommy's biography, he talks at good length about Johnny, which you would expect, you know. Um, but he also says, like, when John, uh, when Tommy Burns gets sent off at Pataudry, he's furious, he's taking his Celtic jersey off, two arms around him straight away. No, you can't do that. You can't do that in front of our fans. Calms him down, gets him off. Um, and Tommy was known as a hothead, like Johnny was in the early days as well. But in the latter years, Tommy was able to handle that yeah. much better. Johnny Doyle helped him get there you know great story of how um, the two of them a fierce argument on the pitch at Celtic Park after they lose a goal and Tommy once says we're almost coming to blows but the Celtic players have started the game really quickly they're up the park win a corner Tommy takes the corner Johnny scores and in Tommy's words that was us back in love again
2: (laughs) It's incredible isn't it Yeah It really is I mentioned earlier about the the wee black book and uh, obviously there was an incident when Andy Lynch and Johnny Doyle. Apparently, you know, they came and blows a few times, but Johnny gets sent off. Uh, when he signs for Celtic, Andy Lynch is sitting there in the dressing room and asking the question, is my name still in that wee black book of yours? And he produces the book and <laughs> rubs it out or scores it out. No, Andy, you're all right now. Um, so I loved that as well. But you get tales from every player that, that played with, with Johnny. Yeah. Um, and the other one I remember is when he's in the reserve team and obviously the corresponding fixtures were at whatever ground, so yeah. the Celtic Park or Ibrox, and the supporters bus comes up and Johnny produces the crucifix at the window. That's
3: all okay. chaos ensued. It comes from Willie Garner. Yeah. He says to Willie Garner, do you want to see what 30 bear arses look like? Because as soon as the Rangers fans see it's him and he's flashing his crucifix, they all drop their trousers in the window. Willie Garner said, what is
2: that? <laughs> incredible. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, by the time the the terrible event happens Johnny's fallen out of favour with yeah. Billy McNeil yeah. how do you think now, uh, there's a transfer request oh, yeah. you know, after signing for the team of your your dreams if you like
3: Johnny is a wee bit disillusioned by that stage how do you think yeah, that I mean, would no, have yeah. affected him Paul? Oh must have been bad you know it must have been bad um, but what I was very pleased to, to find out and to realise was he didn't give in he didn't throw in the towel so the problem for Johnny was Celtic had signed Frank McGarvey Mm -hmm. new striker new record signing as well Um, we didn't win the league when Frank joined us because he only joined in March you know so that was unfortunate we missed the goals Um, the next season Charlie Nicholas is breaking through right so um, there's one season Johnny's top scorer at Celtic with George 12 goals each although Johnny says one of George's doesn't count because it was (laughs) a it was a a drive or a cup game or something you know. Um, so top scorers when McGarvey and Nicholas are in harness They score I think one of them scores 29 the other one 27 mm-hmm. what a transformation that's how we overcome Aberdeen when the league that season you know so Johnny's out of favour because we've got a much stronger um, front line than we had and Davy Proven is the first choice winger you know and um, but he didn't help himself because on a pre-season uh, they were over for a tournament in New York mm-hmm. he gave a press interview he made it clear he was unhappy and he was looking to speak to Billy McNeil Billy McNeil wasn't with them John Clark was in charge of that then they fly over to the final tournament and the two of them him and Billy McNeil have it out Now, what we know about Billy and what we know about Johnny, nobody's backing down from this. And it leads to the ridiculous situation where Johnny puts in a transfer request. And immediately he's saying to everybody, I didn't want to do it, but he's done it. And Celtic accept it and put him on the transfer list. Mm. Um, Because they're saying you shouldn't have done that and we're not happy with you. Um, But the good thing is, that's him in the reserves. Bobby Lennox, by this point, is in charge of the reserve team. Uh, and he's playing every week in the reserves. And he's still going at it. He doesn't lose heart. And interestingly, he still keeps going to the supporters' functions. You see, he's still, he's still out there every week. So he's trying to get back in Billy McNeil's good books, you know. Davey Proven gets injured early October. And his wife said, that Johnny's wife said this subsequently... He thought this might be my way back in. You know, we we been injured, you know. If I can just persuade the manager, that'll that'll be me back in the team again. He'd done it. He'd been in worse situations at Celtic before and he'd got back in, you know. So um he was committed to doing that. Um the five days before he dies, Queen's Park, Glasgow Cup scores again. He'd already got the goals that won as the Reserve League Championship against um Dundee United he'd scored quite a few goals in the reserves he was Bobby Lennox talks about the fact him and Peter Latchford were leading these boys you know yeah. giving them good qualities so he was still doing a job for Celtic even in the reserves but he was still waiting for that opportunity to get back into the first team you know and um, never came because he passed away first unfortunately
2: mm-hmm. I mean that tragedy again I've spoken to some players who received the call mm-hmm. you know and it was um, various players were called by Brian Scott for example to hear yeah. the news And it's that tragedy that you were talking about. You look at our history, but it is tinged with moments like that. And I often wonder, how on earth can a player go to his work the next day, go and play a game of football the following week? I mean, not only are you losing a player and a friend, it's the personality, it's the energy that you've got there, the influence that you've got there. An incredible sadness uh, befell Celtic Park. And I, I think... In many ways it's still felt because we talk Mm -hmm. about Johnny Doyle, we talk about Johnny Thompson. Guys who lost their lives while still Celtic players. There's been others obviously like Tommy Burns who was still at Celtic when he passed away, Neely Morkin of course, who was still at Celtic when he passed away. But the tragic element of that, I mean it's so so sad and when you look at when it happened forty years ago now, it's fitting that this book is coming
3: out to celebrate his legacy. What do you think his legacy is at Celtic? I think it's it's almost the classic tale of um Celtic fan making it good, you know? Um, being able to live the dream, um, our dream, but also, importantly, his father's dream, his yeah. aunt Teresa's dream, his uncle, so his aunt and uncle started taking him to the Celtic games after his father passed away, you know? Um, it's so important for them, but when you speak to Anne-Marie's sister, when you speak to Jason, when you speak to Joanna, there's no sadness, you know. They're, they just, they love telling the stories. They love hearing stories. Mm-hmm. Nothing better than fans telling them stuff about their dad and their brother they hadn't heard before, you know. Um, and it, it keeps, keep, keeps his memory alive, obviously, but it's a positive thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so for me, the, the legacy really lies in the connection with the support um, and the fact that's why. We still talk about Johnny Doyle today, you know, um, because people still cherish the memories of him, um, meeting him, the stories about him, because he was a genuine character. Um, Tommy Burns would say, you know, he did, you know, some things he shouldn't have done. The crucifix, the crucifix was coming out all the time. The beat, Air United beat Rangers. League winning Rangers, they beat them 3-0 down at Somerset Park, incredible result. Johnny um, has a hand in two of the goals, one of them, third goal goes in, he runs all the way along the terrace in front of the Rangers fans with his crucifix out. Joe Felipe shouts at him, stop it, stop it, they're going to come over the wall and get you. He shouts back, let them come. I don't care, you know. Um, the crucifix, like you say, there's photos when we were in the league at Easter Road 77. It's out there, it's on the jersey. Then he used to have it taped up. The referees would say to oh, him, Mr. Doyle, you can't play with that. You say, what well, you tell me I can't practice my faith. And then they had this, he would put a huge cross over the crucifix <laughs> with the plasters <laughs> instead. He was always winding them up. Um, so, <laughs> uh, just incredible. It, to me, I decided, you know, actually, this we can't make this a sad book. Right, because there's there's a terrible double tragedy, you know. In many respects, the real heroine of the Johnny Doyle story is his mother and his sister, because you know his mum loses his, her husband very early on. He's left with two young children. You know, um, they grew up. One of them ends up becoming a Celtic player, incredible. And when he says every game, every game when Johnny was still living at home, the mother would clean his boots, not him. It was always the mother that would do it. You know, um, and then she loses him as well. But I thought, no, there's it's a tragic story, but tragedy doesn't sum up Johnny Doyle well. Th- this is a guy who was larger than life, yeah. you know? Um, so that's why I ended up changing at the very end, I changed the title of the book. I was going to call it True Cell, which was a quote from Billy McNeil about right at the end, you know, right at the... Um, and I thought, that's great. But then I thought, you know, everybody all the way through as a youngster, you know, when he's telling his sister... You get in, you're not allowed to walk around the streets where the Rangers fan as a boyfriend, right? Everybody, Johnny was Celtic daft. That's what they always said, Celtic daft. As a player, he was even more Celtic daft, you know? And a couple of the players are suggesting, you know, with the 4-2 instance as well, maybe that didn't always help him. You know, maybe it, it mattered almost too much mm. from the perspective of a professional footballer, but that was him, heart on the sleeve, you know? Hated losing, hated Celtic being put down in any sense. So that's why he gets... Um, he sees a comment from a fan after a Celtic Rangers game in the Sunday Mail, um, negative comment about how he kicked the ball. He wouldn't give it back to Rangers. He kicked the ball away. He wrote a three-page letter to that fan. I one, saw that. one of his in green ink. Yeah, one of his daughters sent it to Matt McGlone a couple years ago. Matt put it up on the social media in green. It's lovely, lovely handwriting. Three like beautiful letter. Basically, saying to this support, I'm only writing to you because you're a Celtic fan. But you need to understand what we're up against here, you know. Um, it's hard enough to win games against Rangers without giving them every wee advantage going, you know. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but then it goes into detail about the difficulties, the pressure, you know, um, and how you shouldn't let the media divide you. Mm. You know, you shouldn't be seeing stuff like this in the papers about us who are out there trying to win stuff for the club. That's our common purpose. Brilliant. It's almost like a Celtic manifesto. But yet, the popular view of Johnny is, oh, well, Johnny does no like that. Johnny's a head case. You know, absolutely not. Um, he would have difficulty controlled his emotions at, t- emotions at times, but he was an articulate, clever guy as well. So telling that full story was really important to me, you know. Um, and yeah, so it changed it to Celtic Daft because I thought it's just a wee bit less serious and I think it captures a wee bit more of Johnny's spirit as well. Mm, definitely.
2: I think it was Pat Stanton that says to me, Johnny Celtic Daft, and he, he spoke even in the modern game, Top clubs need a couple of players who are Celtic daft, or, yeah. you know. And he, and he started speaking about how, you know, when it becomes a, a point where the chips are down, yeah, you've got professional pride regardless of who you play for. He says, but these guys, these have got a wee bit extra yeah. because it means so much to them. Uh, one thing I, I followed the site for a long time. It was very interesting to see him in a picture with Status Quo <laughs> uh, and various others. But one of the stories I followed with interest, and it had a happy ending, was the fact that Joanna hadn't heard her late father's voice. Yeah. And then you're thinking, well, there must be loads of taped interviews and video footage. But as we know, it didn't really happen back then after games. Yeah, there are some
3: interviews. But they finally found an interview with Johnny, didn't they? Yeah, and it was a Celtic fan who made the connection. It was unbelievable. Um, so Jana would have been, I think, two and a half, three years old when her dad died, you know, so that was why, you know, there wasn't anything that she could remember, obviously, too young. Uh, and. Celtic fans started looking, the club started looking, made contact with the media companies. I know that Tony Hamilton tried as well, you know, to see surely there must be some footage of Johnny being interviewed somewhere. Mm -hmm. That was about five, six years ago, nothing came up, you know. And then um, RTE, the Irish state broadcaster, it turns out they'd had our county football program, they'd sent a camera crew across with a female journalist Um, so they took in a Celtic Morton game which was quite controversial um, but great footage of the crowd uh, coming in during the game and then um, interview Billy McNeil in his office interview, you can see him, actually at one point he walks down the tunnel with Johnny Dodd talking as they walk around the park and then they go down the tunnel together Um, but she interviews Bobby Lennox and you see Bobby's thinking a couple of questions, doesn't he? Really, quite you know. Don't know if she gets it or not, but he's given a straight answer anyway. And then somebody says something at the side that makes Bobby just a wee crease of a smile, and he said, like, "Next thing, camera moves, Tommy Burns, you know, um, in front of the Rangers end at Celtic Park with their jerseys, and just getting in there, And um, so again, Tommy, and again, you hear something at the side. You think, is that you know? And lo and behold." He's making jokes. Johnny Doyle's making jokes about Bobby Lennox retiring and stuff like this, right? That's what it is. So Tommy ends up bursting out a wee bit of laughter, right? Next thing, there he is with Curly Perm, you know, Johnny Doyle. And the woman asks him, So John, tell us what's it like the training at Celtic Park? And, right, we just, just a con, just, just for the manager's ego. We don't really train here at all. And the, the, the other two of them burst out laughing. Um, and that's it. And I thought, that's amazing. So, RTE had put it on um, social media that morning. A Celtic fan had seen it, and he'd sent me a message to say, I think Johnny Doyle interviewed did there's a daughter no looking it was like unbelievable. Wow. And then I sent so I was lucky because I was able to send her a link to and get her feedback by messages, you know, she was quite overcome as you can imagine. Um just a short wee interview you know, only lasted a few seconds, but that was it. Um, brilliant, you know. And I loved it because it summed him up so well, you know, because, again, the book, but all the stories you've heard about him in years, this guy's a character, he's a funny guy, you know, he's always looking for the funny side of things, and lo and behold, even in a serious interview, he just goes for the on the
2: wind-up. Absolutely. It's just incredible. I know that social media gets a hard rap at times, but yeah. it can be used for the greater good. Absolutely. Imagine, Paul, being in that scenario where 35 years or however long later, you finally hear... Yeah. Your your father's voice. Incredible. Incredible story. Tell us where we can find your book. How can we get our hands on this? It's a cracker. It's um, through the website,
3: theshamrock.net. It's also on sale at Carlton Books. And hopefully, I'll hopefully get confirmation later today, hopefully in the Celtic stores in the next couple couple of weeks as well. Fingers crossed. Where can we find
2: you on social media, Paul? It's theshamrock.net. Brilliant. Paul McQuaid, thanks for joining us on A Celtic State of Mind. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul.